0: The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn uh, to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Jamie I'm a little nervous because I'm... I'm not a music person, and so the only tonic I know is gin and tonic, and uh, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16. If you're visiting with us today or are unfamiliar with uh, how the Bible works, there is a Bible right in front of you in the pew, and you certainly are most likely sitting beside somebody who is a regular, and they would love to help you, and so... Uh, the Bible has a table of contents, just like most books. And so you can find 1 Corinthians that way in the New Testament. When you find the book, the large numbers are the chapters. and so 16 and the small numbers are the verses. While you're finding your place there, I uh, heard this morning our time. It's actually in the evening time in uh, Kathmandu, but I uh, heard from Roland and David. And they have had a marvelous trip. The Lord has really blessed. In fact, uh, Roland was telling me that uh, in one of the seminars that he was teaching, he had all of these church leaders in this room uh, have them raise their hand if they were 50 and older. And he said that him and David were the only men that raised their hands. (laughs) He said, no, there's one or two more. And so he kept going down until he got to, I think, 25 or the age of 20 and below. And almost every hand in the room went up. And isn't it amazing that God's church thrives around the world by His power and by His grace and by His Spirit. Amen? Amen. And uh, regardless of age, if a person has Christ as their Savior and the call of God upon their life and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the Word of the living God, they can be trained and do marvelous, wonderful things for Jesus. Amen? And uh, so they have been training them there. Um, Wednesday, they this past Wednesday, they spent going uh, through Kathmandu and went into some uh, temples and learned the culture and then did a whole bunch of prayer walking in that area. And then they spent Thursday and Friday, basically uh, 10 hours a day teaching young leaders. Uh, uh church the actual it's called ecclesiology but for us the doctrine of the church and so the nature of the church and the Christ's rulership over the church and uh, David talked on talked about the uh, qualifications of a deacon and what all that looks like in a church and Roland uh, bless his heart I love him I, I put so much on him on this trip he not only taught his lessons he took my notes with him and taught my lessons as well. And so, uh, just a marvelous time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they went out and uh, preached in some local churches. They had me a little nervous. Friday night, their time, they talked to me on the phone and uh, Roland said, pray for me. I'm going to be taking a motorcycle ride through Kathmandu. Brothers and sisters, if you've never been in that part of the world, our brother Roland needed a lot of prayer. I found out this morning that he did not have to take the uh, the uh, motorcycle ride. That they had a jeep that came, picked him up, took him where he was going, and then they uh, they traveled about, I think, almost six or seven hours to Chihuahua. And, uh, they met and ministered up there again. I said there was 60 or 70 church leaders and they taught uh, again and again and then taught today as well too. And, uh, they're going to do a little, uh, sightseeing in the morning time and then being, uh, begin their journey back. I think it's about 28 hours round trip. So please, uh, please pray for them as they make their way back home. I think Tuesday night or Wednesday morning at some point and uh, the the Lord would bless there. So really, just please, my heart was very happy. At the same time I was speaking to them uh, Friday about what they were doing in Nepal, we had some of our people from this church who were down here at our local J.Y. Jorner Elementary School just right down the hill here ministering to the teachers of our local school in our neighborhood. Isn't that a blessing? That's a good thing, to pour out love and grace and the blessing of God upon our community and to give the Gospel to people who desperately... Need it. First Corinthians chapter number sixteen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Our Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house on this first day of the week, the Lord's day, the day that your Son rose from the grave. We thank you for all who are here, Lord, saved and lost alike, believer, unbeliever, church member and visitor. Lord, I pray now that we open Your Bible, Your Word, that it would be the words of life to us. I pray for every heart that would be open and that the Gospel of Jesus Christ would cut us deep and that we would confess our sins and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And that all of us here today would learn very practically how to live out the uh, faith that has been implanted into our hearts. Help us to honor You and to praise You in all that we do today. For it is in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, so many years ago, when I got into, um, I got into the ministry, the Lord called me uh, to preach. I was with an older pastor, and he began to tell me, he said, now listen, uh, one of the things that's missing in preaching is what he called how to preaching. He said, "Don't just get up when you start to preach and and uh, wax eloquent and tell everybody every uh, detailed meaning of every word. The, the the common people that are sitting in the pews and in the chairs, they need to know how to leave the sanctuary and go out there Monday through Friday and learn how to actually apply the Bible." And you know that has really served well in my ministry. The Lord always reminds me of that when I'm studying that no matter how deep and uh, how entrenched we get and how much I love the languages of Hebrew and Greek, and I just want to pull all of that out for you, I also always want to remember to put all of the cookies on the bottom shelf and to make sure that when we leave here that we all learn how to apply the Scriptures to our life. And the text that we are in today is one of those portions that is just very basic and very applicable to the way that we live the Christian life. And so I want to read these first nine verses and then come back and just make three simple points for you today from him picking up in verse number one now concerning the collection for the saints as I uh, directed the churches of Galatia so you also do this on the first day of the week each one of you is to put aside and to save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come When I arrive, whoever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter." So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Let me just break the text apart for us for a few minutes into three portions today. First of all, from verses 1 through verse number 4, I want to tell you that the Bible teaches us how to give. The Bible teaches us how to give. Look back at verse number 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. The word there is to give or to give an offering or to take up the money. And so just like we did today and just like churches have been doing for thousands of years, even back in biblical times, the Apostle Paul was constantly teaching the congregations wherever he went that they were to be taking up a collection. And so he teaches us here how to give. And I've just kind of maybe give us a few points on how to give today. The first one is give obediently give obediently. Look, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I did direct the churches of Galatia, so do you also. It is under the direction of the Apostle Paul and he says to these churches, he says, look, I've been preaching in all of these churches and I am telling them, this is not an option. This is not if you feel like it. This is not whatever change lies in your pocket. This isn't if I have a few dollars left over or if I did good this month. No, I am directing you under the authority of the inspiration of Almighty God, take up a collection for the saints and the furthering of the gospel. And so uh, from the Apostle Paul's pen to our hearts here at Emmanuel today, I want us to understand that God tells us how to give. And when it comes to giving, we are to do that obediently. Not if we feel like it, not if it's a good thing to do, but we are to do it obediently, following after the commands of God. There are many commands in Scripture. The Bible says to be kind one to another. The Bible says that we are to love each other. The Bible says to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible says to give. Point number one, how do we give? We give obediently. I just want that to sit in in your life and in my life today. Are you giving to the Lord obediently? You say, I'm submissive to God and His will for my life. I'm following Him. I'm living for Him. I'm not sinning in my life. Look at your check register. Boy, that's outdated, isn't it? (laughs) Look at your bank statement online. Maybe I should say that. So Steve, Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you know Jesus did not say where your heart is, there is where your treasure will be. Because Jesus was smart enough to know that whatever you spend the most money on is probably what's the nearest and dearest to your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Give obediently. obediently. Here's another way that we give. Verse number 2. On the first day of every week, not only should we give obediently, we should give regularly. And so why do we take up the offering on Sunday mornings? Well, in some sense, we're just trying to follow the New Testament pattern. It's not that it's uh, directed in there that uh, you have to do this at a certain particular point of the service. Sometimes we do it at the beginning, in the middle, in the end. Sometimes we do it that way. But it says here that in a regular way that they gave at the beginning of each week, let them lay aside at the beginning of the week. And so, we need to give obediently to the Lord and we need to give regularly to the work of the Lord. Now, I know some of you in here are saying, well, I only get paid once a month or I only get paid twice a month. If I don't give every single Sunday, am I sinning? No, don't be legalistic. All he's simply saying is, make an obedient and make a regular habit of giving to the work of the Lord. Okay? Okay? Make it a regular habit in your life in the same way that you pray every day, in the same way that you read your Scripture every day, and I really hope you're doing those things, in the same way that you make a habit out of sharing the Gospel, in the same way that you serve people and you serve in the life of the church. All of those regular habits of practice in your life make a regular habit of giving to the work of God the Lord. Not only obediently and regularly, but look here individually as well. On the first day of every week, each one of you should put aside and say, See, it's not just some sort of corporate thing. Listen, we give corporately and our church supports what we call our cooperative program. It is all of the Baptist churches here in North Carolina and across the world. We we give together so that we can do missions together. But there is an individual aspect when it comes to giving that we, every single believer individually, owns and has the responsibility before the Lord to be faithful in your giving. And I think you ought to teach children that from an early age. And when I was growing up, I've told you before, we, we didn't really get an, we didn't get an allowance. like, you know, some kids like, get an allowance for mowing the lawn." my dad was just like, "Mow the lawn, son. <laughs> I mowed the lawn. Good for you. If you get an allowance, that's fantastic. But listen, if you get an allowance, you ought to give a portion of that to the Lord. You ought to make a regular, obedient, and individual effort to be faithful to give to the Lord. I did that with my allowance? I did that with my first job. Well, my second job. I told you did I ever tell you all my first job. I worked at a barbershop sweeping up hair, and this old guy that ran the barbershop scared me half to death. He had this like 13 foot long bull whip, and I'm out back dumping the hair in the dumpster, and he came out there cracking that bull whip, and I ran home scared, crying. Say, what does that have to do with the service? Nothing. But when I got paid for my three days of work, I gave some to Jesus. Amen. Just be obedient and be individual. I we teach our children to give back to the Lord. Husbands and wives and teenagers and young adults and elderly, is there some of you in here today you're on a fixed income. I just want to say to you, look in a moment I'm going to talk about giving proportionately, but just give obediently, give regularly and give individually to the Lord and give back to the work of God. say so how do I give? how do I give? This is the way that you give and then look here proportionately, look what it says. Every week, one of each of you should put aside and save as you may prosper. Probably the better translation would be as the Lord has prospered you or proportionately to what you may. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus writes the Scripture in such a way that is both fair and gracious, and yet causes us to be sacrificial in our lives as well? There have been times, there have been many times where I had people come in and sit down for counseling, and they they sit down and say, Pastor Steve, I lost my job. We're just barely making it. We don't have much to give. And they said, Can I can I give my time? Can I make some phone calls? Can I write some letters? Is there somewhere I can chip in? Can I give of my time? Oh yes, the Lord blesses that. The Lord honors that. The Lord takes care of that. But as the Lord prospers you, you ought to give proportionately to what you're making. And I would just simply say, when God blesses you and you do get work, or you do get a promotion, or you do advance in your career, don't leave out giving to the Lord. And you know, everybody wants to make a fuss sometimes about tithing. Is that an Old Testament principle? Is that a New Testament principle? Is it a demand of God or is it just a good standard? Can I just say something to you? If you are so consumed over 10%, you've missed the whole point of Scripture. The whole point of Scripture is that your heart would be so tender toward God that you would be longing to give more than 10% the rest of your life. And if you're not able to do that, what you should be saying is, Hey man, that looks like a great standard. That looks like a good place to start. Oh Jesus, please bless me in such a way that I might be able to give back and get to that and go far beyond that. It's not some sort of legalistic tool that lays it down. And I want to tell you something. If you've gotten to the place in your life where 10% is not proportional to what you may, then you need to talk with Jesus, not me. How do we give? I would say back in the text, we give obediently, we give regularly, we give individually, right? And we give proportionately. Before I move to verse five through seven, let me just make a couple of uh, points here because you might be wondering. Look what it says. I love the way the apostle Paul does everything decently and in order, and he does it with the right heart, above board all the way. Look what he says. So that why do you give that way? So that no collection be made when I come. You know what the apostle Paul? He was kind of the uh, mega church. He was the uh, he, he was the pastor that everybody knew. When this dude came to town, all the churches knew. it. And you know what the apostle Paul said? He said, "Look, I want." your individual local churches to be giving faithfully every single week. Don't wait till the famous preacher comes to give the offering. Don't wait till I get there and then act like you're spiritual and give. Every single week of your life, give. Don't just give because somebody famous comes to down. You give to the local operating budget of your local church because that is where the wheels of ministry are really taking place. Don't wait till I come, give every week. And then look what he says here in verse 4. I love what he says. Uh, or in verse three it says, "When I arrive." Whomever you may approve. Notice the, notice the power is shifted, not simply from the bishop of the apostle Paul, but into the hands of the local church. And he works in tandem with the local church, in elder authority, but with the use of the local church. He says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with, um, with many letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, then I will go, they will go with me. You know what he's saying in that? He's saying, look, I'm going to be careful when I come not to handle the money. And now, you can ask our deacons and teachers and leaders here. They'll tell you, uh, as staff, listen, if you ever forget to put your offering in the plate here, please don't come up to me and ask me or Jamie, don't, don't ask us to put your money in the plate. Or, hey, can you turn that in tomorrow? We don't do that. And that's just us trying to be above board in everything that we do as a staff and as elders in the local church. Right? See, the Apostle Paul says, if it's fitting. whoever, If you want somebody to go with us when we deliver, say, how do we take care of the money here? We, we take care of it with great detail. And our books are always open. And whenever we take the money up, we always have multiple people involved in that in a system of checks and balances so that the way we do it is appropriate and right. And I bet we could get a hearty amen. Let's not. But there are thousands upon thousands of stories of churches and charlatans and false preachers that steal money from people people and there's a special place in the devil's hell for those people the safest place to give to the glory of God ought always to be in the local church amen okay that's the hard part of the sermon no preacher ever likes preaching on that but it's in there and I need to here's the second point from verse 5 to 7 how to give how to make plans how to make plans. Now look, two of the points I'm going to say here are found indirectly in the text. They're more descriptive than they are prescriptive. But the last one is definitely prescriptive for us. But I think that we can see something here of the Apostle Paul and learn how to make plans in our life with what the Lord wants. You know, oftentimes, those that are in high school and our young adults, and even those that are even entering into mid part of life, they'll say, how do I know the will of God for my life? And where should I go? And what should I do? And what career path should I be on? And I just want to say to all of us today, here are some practical things, general things to keep in your mind as you make plans in your life. Look at verse number five. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. And the, he, reiterates, he reiterates it. For I am going through Macedonia. The first way I would say how to make plans, do it orderly. Do it orderly. Hey, I want to say to all of us in here today, whether you're 10 or 70, don't put the cart before the horse. Learn how to make plans in your life in an orderly fashion. I talk to some people sometimes and they're so worried and concerned. they want You know what they want? They want when they're 25 what it took 25 years for their parents to own. Come on. My older people should have said amen somewhere there, right? I'm beating up on them now. I'll get you in a minute. Now listen. Don't put the cart before the horse. Do things decently and in order in your life with where you're going and career path that you're going to choose and what you're doing. Listen, there are times when things get mixed up, but you need to make plans in an orderly fashion. The Apostle Paul says, yes, I'm coming to you, but I have to go through Macedonia first. I have ministry that needs to be done there, and I'm going to fulfill my responsibility. I'm going to do what's right. And don't just jump ship every opportunity. Amen? Do what's right, even if it's not most advantageous for you. Do what's right. Do what's right. Okay? Do it orderly. that's in the text. Do you see that? I didn't make that up. It's right there. And then let me say this. Look at verse number 5 again. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And then I would say secondly, when you're making plans, no, don't just not only orderly, but do them seasonally. Seasonally. Look at what I mean by that in verse number six. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. Do you see that? Even I'll spend the winter for you. But keep reading. So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. And look at verse number seven. I think this is a great verse. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits hey, brothers and sisters, when you're making plans with your life, don't make them flippantly. Make them seasonally. You say, Steve, why, why seasonally? Why, why, why spend a little bit long time? Because look, sometimes there'll be a situation where you're making a plan in your life, and if everything's going right and if everything's the way you want it, you feel like it's God's will for your life. But the moment something goes wrong, you feel like you need to bail and jump ship and do something else. And others of you are the exact opposite. If you go to a place or if you do something and everything turns upside down and it's the worst deal in the world, you think it's never going to get better. I want to tell you some: stay at something long enough in your life. to experience the mountaintop and experience the valley and everything in between. Is that fair? Are you guys with me today? or I feel alone. Is that that fair to say from the text? Just be seasonally. doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't move you. doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have various plans. All of us in time to times in our life have been here and done this and all of that because I'm just saying to you, stay with something. All right? Experience the highs, experience the lows, and experience everything in between. Connie and I—it's uh, being recorded, about not mind. I'm not going to name any names. We had a we have a friend, uh, a good friend of ours, and man, she she's special. But listen, she's always looking for a sign from God for something. I mean, yeah, I remember when we were in Chattanooga. She she saw she saw on the, a license plate that said Maryland, and she told Connie and me that is the Lord's confirmation that I need to be in Maryland. Well, sweet Jesus, what if that thing would have said Alaska? You know what I mean? Hey, don't, don't run around. And can I tell you this too, just as a friend? Hey, be real careful. Be real careful. Uh, this is, hey, for all of you, if you're visiting today, listen, sometimes we have religious talk here and people talk about, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going to put out a fleece. Now listen, say people in here, when you say that, people think about some sort of sweater you're going to put on, okay? They don't know that Old Testament story, so you've got to explain it to them. Be real careful about taking God's special revelation in particular moments in history and applying them to your life. I'm going to put out a fleece. And if God does this, I know it's God's will. And if God doesn't do that, I know God doesn't. Be real careful about that. I am not saying that there aren't portions and times in our life where God does interrupt and make things extremely clear. And in some sense, there is a fleece. Man, I, I know that. For instance, you know, when Connie and I came here, um, I didn't hear James Earl Jones, God's voice coming out of the sky. But I remember just as clearly, I was a long way. The process wasn't done or anything. But I remember on a Friday night, mashing potatoes at the Texas Roadhouse in Wake Forest, just sweating. And now you're like, you were made sweaty mashed potatoes. No, I didn't sweat in the mashed potatoes. I was just going as hard as I could. And uh, I know that my resume was here and I knew all this kind of stuff. And, um, and there was a church in Virginia that had said something to me. And man, we were just up in the air on everything. And I just kept praying all night. I was, Lord, please. I just, I'm not sure. What do you want me to do? And I just felt a strong, a strong confidence in my heart that said, just, just wait. That's where you need to be. And this season, that's, 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 that's where I want you to be. And I was just real quiet and waited and waited. Now listen, I've made a heap of decisions in my life, and you will too, and you don't always get that still small voice that gives you that kind of confidence. Sometimes you just have to wade on out into the water and wade a little deeper. And sometimes you get out there and you realize that God is at work even when you're not controlling and even when there's not a special revelatory voice that gives you a confirmation. Sometimes you just have to be faithful to the Word of God and do right until the stars fall and God makes it all right in the end. Amen? So I'm telling you, you don't always, you don't always get that. Don't I'll be putting that fleece out all the time. Hey, how do you make plans? Make them orderly. Make them seasonally. There's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. There's going to be something in between. Yes, at times, the Lord moves. I'm just saying, make them seasonally as well. And then let me draw your attention to this. How do we make plans? we do it submissively. Look at the end of verse number 7. Now those first two were more just descriptive of the apostle Paul's ministry and as his picture of what he was doing. Now this one is prescribed from scripture. Look at what it says here. If the Lord permits, or if it is the will of God, say, "How do you know that is? Uh, how do you know that is the kind of a, a, a prescriptive medication for us and the way we should make our plans?" Because the Book of James picks up on this same idea and says, "Hey, don't say that today or tomorrow we'll go in the city and do this and that. Say, if the Lord wills." When I was growing up, I kind of grew up in some country churches, and my dad would often say, yeah, "Lord willing, and the creek don't rise." I don't even know what the creek don't rise means, but that's what they would say in the country. But I'll tell you something. There's a little bit of wisdom in that kind of talk. Don't just go make plans in your life without submitting your life plans and goals and aspirations to the Father above through Jesus Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't go off in your life thinking you're going to make your own way and do your own thing. He wants to fulfill your life. He wants you to be creative. He wants to use all that is in you, but it must be submitted to His own will and His own design for your life. And you'll never be fulfilled in all of your life doing anything Thing unless it is first submitted to Jesus Christ. Amen? Submit yourself, will the Lord. And this is what I want to do. That's wonderful. Have you asked the Lord if He's okay with that? Have you asked the Lord if He would be with you in that? If, is, is that what He wants for your life? I just want to say to you, when you make plans how to, do them orderly, do them seasonally, and always do them submissively to the will of God. God. Let me make one point for you here. Verse number 8 and 9. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. How to give, how to make plans, how to serve in evangelism That's what's going on here. This church and the Apostle Paul is saying, look, there are all these doors of opportunities to share the gospel with unbelievers and established churches and to grow believers and to disciple people along. And look at what he says here. How is it that we serve others? Look back at verse number 9. First of all, he says, for a wide door for effective service. I would say when we serve the Lord through evangelism, we do so optimistically. And I know some of you are like, man, all those words in an L-Y, and you're kind of smirking at me but you're going to leave today remembering a few of those L-Y words, all right? Optimistically. I'm so tired of Eeyore kind of people. Don't be like that. Don't be an Eeyore in your life. Don't be downtrodden. Be the kind of person that looks for evangelistic, serving opportunities in an optimistic manner in your life. Look for a wide door of open opportunity. I would say to this church right here, you may say, well, we're not down there on Wake Forest Road. We don't have a billboard somewhere. I am telling you you ought to be optimistic. God has put us in this space, in this time, in this part of the world, and there is a huge open door of lost people all around us in the zip codes that are around this church. Amen? Optimistically. You ask the deacons of this church, uh, we have meetings together. I, uh, I I am a realist. I see problems, I know them. In fact, I told you this like I told you last week, true leadership always defines reality. It doesn't skirt over it or sweep it under the rug. It always meets it straight on and says, this is the issue at hand. And i tell the deacons, they know this. Then when we come together and say, okay, what is reality? What is the problem? We never come just complaining. We always come with solutions. Don't be the kind of person that always points out problems. Be the kind of person that acknowledges problems and strives optimistically for a solution to the problem. That operates in your family too. Don't complain about your wife. Don't complain about your husband. Do everything in your power to love them and care for them and to look for those solutions that you can do together. Right? Optimistically. Serve and look for opportunities to share the Gospel in an optimistic way. Number two, effectively. Effectively. Right? An open door for effective service. Evangelism. I'm trying to equip you to be the saints to do the work of the ministry. You say, what do we do here? Well, listen, stuff like serving down at J.Y. Joyner, stuff when we do overseas, and stuff we do like the three-on-three basketball tournament in the park and other things that we have planned this year, all that's coming up for Easter, the egg hunt and the Good Friday service and the brunch here on that Sunday, all of that is designed to be effective evangelistic works to share the Gospel, the good news with our community. You ought to be involved in that. Effective ministry. And uh, you know what? We do this together. And in fact, my job is to equip you to do effective service for the Lord. So if you have an effective idea for how to bring people to Jesus Christ, don't come tell me this is what we ought to do. Come say, hey, I think this fits in with the vision and the mission of this church to proclaim the Gospel and make disciples. What do you think about this? And we will empower you and help you to fulfill that. The issue is not for your staff to do ministry. The issue is for you to do it and we'll help you. Amen? Okay? Effective. Look back there if you would at verse number 9. Not only optimistically and effectively, but look here, I would say thankfully. Look what he says. An open door has been opened to me. Are you thankful for the opportunities that are in your life every day to serve? both believers and unbelievers. Are you always longing to be in another ministry and another this and another that? Are you longing for some, something else? Are you just at least thankful for where you are and what's going on in your life? Just be thankful for the open doors that God has placed right in front of you. Yeah, sometimes the Lord puts us over here. Sometimes the Lord does this. All of that happens. But I'm saying, just man for man, person for person, woman for woman in this room today, are you thankful for the opportunities to serve that the Lord has put in your life right now? And if you say, I haven't, I'm not really thankful for that, it might be that you're not taking those opportunities as much as you should. And then lastly, I would say, alertly. Right? Right? How do you evangelize? How do you serve the Lord alertly? Look at what the end of verse number 9 says. Isn't this an interesting point of view here? And there are many adversaries those people that go with me to uh, overseas and serve here, all of this, they know that oftentimes the beginning and toward the end of times of great output when it comes to ministry, the adversary, the devil himself walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's after you. He's after your family. And he is wanting to destroy the work of God in your life and what you're doing to serve Him. He'll cause fights. He'll cause resentments. He'll cause bitterness. God is always trying to keep the enemy at bay with his power and his grace and I will tell you this the enemy is always seeking to devour the Lord's people are you alert to what's going on or are you just kind of skipping through life I'll tell you, most people that really don't understand those kinds of Scriptures about battling against the devil and and, uh, having the shield of faith and all of these things, those are the people that are never really sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Because as soon as you start to open your mouth and talk to unbelievers about the gospel, you'll find that all hell will break loose in your life. And some of you are thinking, well, that's just fine and dandy. I could do without a little hell right now. I won't evangelize. And you'll miss the power and grace of God in your life. Now, let me just finish by telling you this. That preacher told me, he said, always teach the people how to, how to, how to. And that's been a marvelous help in my ministry and in my preaching. I want to be able and I'm trying my best just to give you a simple sermon today. How to give, how to make plans, How to evangelize effectively in your life but you know what i remember several years ago i was asked a christian school asked me i had like two or three jobs at the same time and this uh, christian school said hey will you come and teach ninth grade bible and we'll pay you i said i'm in didn't even have to look at that time i just needed money we were scraping by connie and i trying to get by college and all this kind of stuff and they said will you teach ninth grade bible and i thought i'm a preacher why would i not be able to teach ninth grade bible I walked in, they gave me a lesson plan book, I had no idea what that was, it was so helpful. Listen, if you want to preach, if you want to pastor, shadow a teacher one day. You know they have these lesson plans, they're trying to carry the students from one place at the beginning of the year and develop them so that at the end of the year, they're farther down the road. Did you know that? And when you're pastoring, it's the same thing. Every sermon series we preach, every book of the Bible, it's all designed so that five years from now, the people sitting right here look differently in your spiritual life. That's the way we plan all of our worship. The songs, the prayers, the sermons, all of it. It's a good way to approach growth in the Christian life. And I remember uh, teaching the class, and I'd have to put together these tests, and uh, I remember Connie said to me, she said, now look, on these tests, these are ninth graders, you need to have some why questions on there. You need to at least have an essay question on there somewhere. She said, because, you know, just the multiple choice and fill in the blank and true false, she said, that's one level of learning. But whenever you start asking the question, why, and you're requiring essay type answers, it's a higher level of learning. It's more important. And their cognitive skills need to grow. They need to learn how not just to spit out answers, but to answer the question, why, why. And I would say to us today, we not only need to know how practically to live for the Lord in the area of giving and planning and evangelizing, but I don't want you to leave here today on a lower level of learning. I want you to know today why we live this way and why we give and why we plan and why we go. The reason why, first of all, is in obedience to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ who Himself is the Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why do we give? We give to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us to make disciples of all the nations, to bring them to faith in Christ and discipleship to Jesus Christ. Why do we make plans with our life? So that we don't waste away what Jesus has given us. He's given us one life to live. If you're lucky, you might get 75 or 85 years in this life. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to spit it away? Are you going to plan and use it for the glory of Jesus Christ to make His name famous around the world? No matter what vocation you have, what are you planning in your life to do for Jesus? Are you going to share the gospel with somebody? Why? Because when you leave and get in your car and you drive down the road, the chances are, eight out of ten cars that you see passing you, the people are dying in their sins and they will go to the devil's hell unless somebody brings them the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why. Not to just fulfill a religious duty, not to just be better than somebody else not to just get your name or some sort of prize, but because Jesus Christ is worth all of this. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment. Right now is just an opportunity for you to pray right where you are. I feel like maybe listen we're not gonna stand and sing today. Just, just take a moment there, sitting quietly. And and just pray. And if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to, just talk to him. Confess your sin and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and He will. Hey, but for many of us here today, we need to say, how how am I giving? How am I planning? How am I telling people about Jesus? Furthermore, to ask that question, why is this so important? Why was it so important for Jesus to communicate these truths to us? Why does it matter? It matters for His glory. It matters for our good. And it matters because there really are lost people who need Jesus just so want to encourage you today, right now where you are, to pray. And where you've fallen short in these areas, simply give that over to Him and experience His forgiveness. And commit today in your heart, Lord Jesus, with the help of the Spirit and the guidance of the Scripture, I'll follow better. Would you do that today? Well, the Lord would be pleased to help you along the way. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcralee.com.